Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have a great guest, James Schwartz. He is the author of The Mind-Body Fertility Connection and also One Voice Sacred Wisdom. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so, And you also have a, a hypnotherapy center also, right? In, uh, what is that, Colorado? In, in Denver, Colorado. It's actually Lakewood. So I'm a board-certified hypnotherapist and an NLP practitioner, and it's, my center is called the Rocky Mountain Hypnotherapy Center in Colorado. Awesome. Uh, so what got you into hypnotherapy? Ah, <laughs> it's interesting. I, my wife and I, no, oh, maybe once a year or something, we'll get a reading, you know, from somebody like who's an astrologer or something, just kind of for fun, just kind of check in. And um, for years and years, these different, you know, psychics or mediums or astrologers, I'd walk in and they'd say, oh, you're a healer, right? You know, and at that point I was teaching. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess I, you know, that's really what I feel like I should be doing. And so I, I did the teaching thing in a corporate job for a while. Then um, my job got outsourced and I just took a few classes and got into hypnosis and it really took off almost from day one. Wow. So it was like almost, it was meant to be. <laughs> it really was. Yes. Uh, what kind, where did you uh, take classes at? Um, I took some locally in Colorado, but I, I also made a point of trying to study with the masters. So if, if somebody like one of the masters name is Jerry Kine, for example, if he was teaching a class somewhere, I'd go travel to go, you know, take that class from him. And so I tried to learn from some of the best. I thought that was the best way to prepare myself. And, um, you know, I, I think me and probably most of my listeners, too, are kind of curious and are uncertain of what exactly is hypnosis? I mean, how does it work? Well, in hypnosis, what we're really trying to do is get the conscious mind, which is our thinking critical mind, out of the way so that we can really just focus on the subconscious mind. So there's a lot of misconceptions about it. People feel like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, it's mind control and I can go rob banks or, you know, that's not true. Or they feel like they should be asleep because they've seen that in the movies and that's not true. Or they're going to forget everything that goes on and that's not true. Those are all movie misconceptions. It's really a, a, a relaxed state, very much like a guided meditation. And the client is in control the entire time. So, we're just kind of working with that client, trying to get to the subconscious mind because that's where you hold the roots of what's going on. If you have issues like anxiety or something, we got to get to the subconscious for that. And that's also sort of our, our link or our way to get to the spiritual world, I believe, is by accessing that subconscious mind. And, and once you get into the subconscious mind, how do you find out um, what, how do you identify the problems and the solution to those type of problems? 
Uh, that's a good question. Like if someone has anxiety, for example, they, what we can use in hypnosis is a process called age regression. So this is going back within this lifetime, not other past lives or anything like that, going back within this lifetime, we're going back in time to find the roots or the source of that issue. So if they have anxiety, you know, and maybe it goes back to when they're, they're starting school or something and they, they're asked, the teacher calls on them and they freeze up and they're afraid or something. It can be minor things like that. And, but we'll go back and we'll find that time and maybe bring in their child and do some healing or processing or something with it. And that it sort of helps to start unlocking that anxiety issue. And so it's pretty effective. And what's amazing is in hypnosis, the mind or subconscious mind knows exactly where to go to do the healing. And and how did you go, how did you learn um, that you could use hypnotism for, 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 I always had trouble with fertility. (laughs) Um, That was, that was an interesting process because I started out in 2003, and at that time, my wife did acupuncture, and there's a lot of other acupuncturists around town that specialize in fertility, because Denver's kind of a fertility hub. We've got some big centers here for reproduction. And so these, these acupuncturists discovered that these women were, you know, they really wanted babies. They were doing all the things right, like the way they, their diet and exercise and all those kinds of things. But they, a lot of them were just full of anxiety or they had old unprocessed issues, you know, maybe like a couple of miscarriages or something. And so they thought, well, we got to work on the mind and emotions somehow. So they started sending them to me and I had just opened my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, there were no books on hypnosis about how to do fertility work or anything like that. So I had to kind of just kind of invent and create as I went along. And at the, initially I had six clients sent to me and I didn't realize at the time, I didn't know that much about fertility. So I didn't realize at the time they were pretty serious. These were people that, you know, one of them, the doctor gave her a card and said, there's no way you're going to get pregnant. Here's, here's a place to go for adoption. You know, don't, don't come back to me anymore. Cause we're not, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, so this, these were people like that. And as it turns out, all six of those women got pregnant, had healthy babies. One of them did have to use Western medical intervention, but five of them, it was natural pregnancy. And boy, once that happened, it's like, that became my specialty because they told their acupuncturist, they told their friends, they told other women trying to get pregnant. And all of a sudden everybody was coming to me for fertility. Wow. So just like the hypnosis thing, it, it, it was, it came to you. <laughs> it did. Exactly. Yes. Um, you know, like when I, when I, when I first heard um, about you, one of my other guests told me about you and um, I was like, it sounds crazy <laughs> being able to hypnotize somebody to get pregnant. Yes. And then I went digging through your, your website and I was like, you know, this makes sense. You know, I, I, I can see how, um, you know, like somebody being afraid of being a bad parent 
um, how, how, how that, that thought in a subconscious mind could prevent somebody from getting pregnant. I said, this, this, this makes sense. And then last night, I was mentioning to one of my friends that I, I was going to have you as a guest. And she goes, oh, yeah, there's definitely something to it. Because every time I got pregnant was, or conceived was when I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. So maybe like, so, so there has to be like, I, there's definitely something to it, you know? I mean, whether it's an issue or a relaxation problem, I guess uh, all those things are connected. Well, the, the body can really go into either a survival mode or it can go into a reproductive mode. You know, that's, that's, there's like really those, there's two choices there. We have what's called a hypothalamus gland and that's kind of the the gland that's in charge of reproductive activity. And so if it gets stressed out, which happens real easily, it will put a woman in survival mode, not in reproductive mode. And when you think about it, because of all the stressors we have in life, you know, and not enough time and we're busy, we're running, all that kind of stuff. Most of us are kind of operating in that survival mode, not in reproductive mode. So one of the first steps with hypnosis is to really get that, teach that client how to deeply, deeply relax. So they do that every day. And it's amazing because I find if I can get those people to relax for even 10 or 15 minutes a day, it's like their body will go into the reproductive mode and it won't stay in the survival mode. But the other thing that people don't realize is our issues create stress as well. And that's kind of what you were talking about there. I think alluding to like, what if I'm a bad parent, but say if somebody's had a couple miscarriages, their conscious mind might say, I really, really want a baby, but their subconscious mind might be going, but I'm scared to death. I can't lose another baby because it's just so painful. Uh, So they have that, but it could be, you know, a fear of, childbirth it could be sometimes women are it's a body image thing because of the societal pressure we have about body image here you know and in, in our country or it could be things like worried about can they be a good parent or can they will they do it well enough you know will they uh repeat old patterns dysfunctional patterns from from their family things like that all those things are kind of potential issues and so what we're trying to do is resolve or remove those issues so that they can let go of those fears. And then they, that helps them get into that reproductive mode. So there's two aspects of it. There's like a, a daily relaxation practice that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. And then also there's the uh, dealing with those more deep rooted issues that might be there. Yes. And, and well, and the other thing too, I'm sure you're familiar with the law of attraction, what we think and feel and imagine and is what we create. And so there's also a manifesting piece too, where people can start to see themselves and feel themselves getting pregnant. And so that, that is a contributor as well. That helps because they, a lot of times these women have maybe tried for three or four or five years and feel like they just have no hope and it's really hard for them to get in that, that positive mindset. So the manifesting is important. The other thing that I do, I work with is using kind of mind body healing based on Eastern medicine techniques. And so if there's something uh, deficiency or something going on based on an Eastern medicine and acupuncture diagnosis, then we can work on correcting that with mind body healing. And how do you do that? Do you use like Reiki or something? Um, it's 
if someone has like, for example, with fertility, kidneys are really important in Eastern medicine. And that may sound funny to you, you're going, wait, kidneys, what do they have to do with reproduction? But in, in Eastern medicine, the kidneys are looked at as like the battery that gives energy to the reproductive system. So if the kidneys are weak or deficient, then that means the reproductive system doesn't have enough energy to reproduce. So what we, I might be doing is having them work on the mind-body healing to create, to try and correct that deficiency. And now when I say that, it doesn't reproduce, I mean, it doesn't replace acupuncture or herbal medicine, it, it supplements it, it complements it. And that way people feel like they're sort of taking charge of their fertility and they're creating a positive outcome. Interesting. Um, without giving away anybody's um, identity, what is the strangest issue that you've encountered when addressing a fertility issue? Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's been so many. Um, I think, oh boy, let's see. One of the things that kind of comes to mind first is I've had people that have had as many as 10 miscarriages and that's, that's a really difficult one is to kind of get that person positive again. But, you know, I think of, I, I can think of two women offhand that had 10 miscarriages and um, both of them got pregnant, went on and had babies, you know, and have, have families now. So that's, that's probably the most difficult. Um, uh -huh. A lot of them, a lot of the issues are worries about could something in, in the family or the past uh, re, you know, represent itself or, or come back again if they have like a, a controlling mother that's real critical or something, they don't want to see themselves becoming like that. And so we might have to work a little bit on that if they have some of those tendencies. Interesting. Um, like I know like even myself, like I don't have any kids. And one of the reasons I don't have any kids is because I've always just felt that I would be a terrible parent. And, um, and, it, and it runs in my family, you know, like to just there seems to be some kind of bad DNA in my family where everybody either ends up with uh, addiction or mental illness and stuff like that. Do you come across like those type of issues? Yeah, um, a lot of people are worried genetically, will something, you know, be passed on through the family? Or the other thing is um, they're worried if people have a predisposition, you know, for alcoholism or something, or, or they, they're worried that that's going to continue on through the family line or family lineage. But there's things we can do to, to break that, that pattern. And it sounds a little bit out there, but it's almost like you're bringing in, calling in the family in multiple generations and we're saying, okay, we're going to, you know, cut the ties or we're going to remove the cords that sort of link everybody together with this alcoholic issue. And the other thing I, I say with the people who are worried about, could something come through in our DNA? There's, um, if you're familiar with like Bruce Lipton and the biology of belief, there's a lot of research that's been done now about our cells that just because we have something in our DNA, it doesn't mean it has to express. And so what happens is we can, it's really more about the field, which is, you know, our personal beliefs and the world we live in, you know, are we smokers, are we alcoholics, those kinds of things. 
And so a person, if they truly believe that that DNA is going to express with them and they're going to get that issue, they, they probably will. If they believe that they're not going to get them, get that, have that issue affect them, then there's, I think they can uh, avoid having that express itself. Right. Like I can see how that would work, like, you know, with the parent level, but how do you stop it at the child level? Like, do you, does it change the way you raise your child? Um, it might in terms of, you know, with the child, for one thing I would do is probably not even talk about that that gene or, you know, what you're worried about expressing. Um, because once you plant that seed, and a lot of people will say, oh, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get colon cancer, you know, when I get older or something. You don't want to really plant that seed. Um, and then also, I think, really, you impress upon the parent, if you have a very different lifestyle than, you know, say the grandfather and father had colon cancer or whatever, and you make it clear that, okay, here's how they lived, but we're going to have a very different lifestyle and really take care of ourselves and, and focus on being healthy and uh, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then that's probably not going to express with us. Interesting. Have you ever had a client come in <clears throat> that wanted to have children and you felt like, you know what? I don't think this person should be having children. They're not a fit parent. Yeah. Um, that'll happen once in a while. Um, it's fortunately most, I would say about 98% of the people who come to me, I, you know, seem like they really want to be parents and they're going to really be good parents. There's, there's probably 2% out there, but I feel like, you know, it's not my place to make a judgment about that. I have to support them in their journey. But the one thing that's kind of cool about this is when you work on fertility, you have to kind of get rid of all the bad stuff. So if somebody comes in and they have a ton of anger, say, we really kind of have to work through that because I, and this is sort of my own personal belief, but it seems like what I find is if the universe feels like this person's not ready to be a good parent because she's got so much anger, that's why they're not getting pregnant. And so that can come up in the sessions and you could say, let's get rid of all that anger. And then that'll kind of open that door for that person to be able to get pregnant. So I guess what I'm saying is they can work on a lot of their stuff. And um, I've seen some pretty amazing transformations with this work. How does somebody even begin to work on such a huge issue like that? Like, like anger, for example, um, like my father, he was like a super angry guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I, I don't even think he could, even if he tried to not be angry, I don't think it would have been possible. Well, you have to go back. It's remember I talked about that age regression. We yeah. go back to the source of what, where this got started. Now with your father, and I don't know this, I'm just kind of putting a situation mm -hmm. out there, but say his father was really critical and, you know, kind of controlling and kind of a mean, gruff guy. And so your father's maybe five years old and he's working on some project with his dad 
and does something wrong and his dad totally blows up at him, you know, and gets really angry. And so that's sort of introducing that concept to your father. And then what happens is you have these subsequent events that sort of make that anger get even stronger. And our goal with this is go back to that five-year-old child and how can we heal him? How can we remove that anger? Can we even sort of take it out of his energy field or out of his body? Can we pull it out? And then, but we may have to do that with several different threads. That father thing may only be one piece of it. But if you can go to the root and you remove the root, it's kind of like removing the button. You know, when people say, well, my button got pushed or whatever. If we can remove that button from when he was five years old, then that's kind of the starting point. Now, there's, there's more to it than that. I'm kind of simplifying it. Uh-huh. But that's, that's the, 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 the way you address it is to go back to the root or the source and process that. Does it become more difficult to do this um, older, with the older client that, where it's more ingrained? Or is it easier with a younger client? Um, actually, I mean, kids like teenagers and stuff are really pretty open. So sometimes they make moves pretty fast, you know, as opposed to the, the older people. It really depends on how much that person wants to heal and change. You know, if they come in and they say, I, I really want to be rid of this anger. I really want to do it. They're, they're probably going to make some good steps. You know, if they come in because, well, my wife made me come in or whatever, they're, they're, you're probably not going to get much success at all. And do they have to continue to do, like, like does this just happen, you know, in your office while laying on the couch? Or are there things that they have to do outside to kind of reprogram some of those uh, neural highways that have been created over the years? I give lots of homework. <laughs> okay, so, so I'll teach them a self-hypnosis process. And, you know, in the anger example, for example, that five-year-old kid may have decided at that moment when his father yelled at him, I'm just not good enough. You know, I'm a, I'm a failure and I'm not worthy, basically. So the homework might be making him feel like he is worthy and he is good enough. And so, yeah, there's different exercises. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. You're building new pathways, essentially. Um, and that subconscious programming can be pretty stubborn. And so I ask my clients to do their self-hypnosis where they're working on all this stuff like every day. Yeah. And, and I imagine like by the time people come to you, they're, they're, they're ready for change. Like somebody's not going to, I mean, like you said, like if somebody is sent to you by their wife, they're probably not ready to change. But if people are coming at their own will, then they're, they're ready. They're at that jumping off point. They are. And most of them have been, they've been told by their friend or whoever referred them, you know, they said, okay, you know, get ready because you're going to go to your stuff and, you know, you're going to feel that anger, but you're going to have a chance to get rid of it too. So it's not, it's different from the kind of therapy where people are just going kind of there, there, that's so it's okay. You'll be all right or whatever there's, and there's a place for that too. I'm not saying that that's bad, but this is, can be a whole lot more intense than that because you're really looking at, the roots of where these things came from. And people will say, when you go back to those roots, I hear this time and time again, they go, wow, I totally have forgotten about that. But 
now I remember how incredibly angry or anxious or fearful or whatever their, their experience was. I, I, I really remember how I felt at that moment. Um, geez, I just forgot what I was going to ask you. <laughs> um, oh, could you hypnotize somebody into having twins? Nah. Um, well, I do have some people actually who, who want to do that. Now, in this day and age, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, there's so, a lot of people go through in vitro, which really creates a possibility of twins. Um, in their manifesting, you know, I talked about the manifesting piece. You could try and create that. I think if it's not uh, kind of, if it's not written in their agreement, you know, when they came onto this planet, I don't think you, they are going to manifest it though. So you could try, but it, it's, it's kind of uncertain whether you can do it. So you can't guarantee somebody twins. No, can't guarantee it. <laughs> How about the sex of the child? I can't guarantee that either. Uh, you know, we can, we can work one way or another. Most people actually that I see though are pretty open because they, they've, you know, a lot of times these are people who've been trying for several years and they feel like just a child. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm happy with a boy or a girl. Either one's fine. You know, so uh, I don't have too many people actually make that request. Hmm. I don't know. I would, I would definitely want a boy, not a girl. I think a boy would be easier to raise. Um, So how many successes have you had with this technique? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, in the book, the mind, the book is, it's called the mind body fertility connection. I probably should mention that along the way. Um, (laughs) I, my success rate for, I spent like the first maybe three years or something, like logging every, every single person I worked with. And, and you have to understand, some people never get back to you and tell you, oh, I got pregnant or whatever. I remember one woman, uh, you know, I never heard from her again. I asked people to let me know, you know, what's, what's going on. And I, years later, I saw her picture in the paper with, she was standing with her three kids, you know, that looked just like her. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess you were successful and I didn't count. It was a positive number. But, but from the feedback I did get from the people I do know, and I, this, is, this is people actually having birth, giving birth, not, not just pregnancies that are lost. My success rate was always about 60 to 65%. And when I say that, you know, totally unscientific, this is just me, you know, following up with people or whatever, hearing from people how did they do that kind of thing? There's no blind study or anything like that. Um, and no guarantees with these numbers, but that's, that's what I found in my practice. And when you compare it to Western medicine, and I use the numbers from the CDC from Western medicine because those are accurate. If you go to a reproductive center, they give you kind of inflated numbers a lot of the time. And so I want the accurate numbers. And for people who do IUIs, which is artificial insemination, the success rate really is truly only about 2 to 6%. It's not very high with that. If you do IVFs, the success rate really is, and IVF, you know, the in vitros, overall the success rate, and this is the CDC numbers, is 28%. And this is people with their own, using their own eggs, 
And this is women, you know, kind of 35 to 45, kind of in that range. So the thing is, my point, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because our numbers were better. If they work, when I say our numbers, these are people who work with me. Maybe they work with acupuncture and herbs. Uh, maybe they work with Maya massage, that kind of thing. But our numbers were so much better than what happens in the Western medical world. And so if nothing else, if you're doing Western medical, it makes sense to add some of the things that we do and increase your chances. Um, I keep, I'm really forgetful today. <laughs> Ask. Oh, I keep forgetting. I just write some of these questions down as I'm thinking of them. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I guess I wasn't meant to ask it. Let's go on to the other book. <laughs> okay. Uh, one voice in sacred wisdom. Yes. Uh, in this one, it looks like you're able to um, use hypnosis to get people um, to communicate with deceased loved ones. Yes. Well, and, okay, go ahead. No, 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 no. Can, can you explain that one a little bit? Well, I use, in my practice, I work with a modality called alchemical hypnosis. And in alchemical hypnosis, the clients are asked to bring in guides that help them work through their issues. So, for example, somebody who had a death in the family and they're suffering with grief, maybe they could bring in their guardian angel that would come in, provide some comfort, ask, answer some questions, and you know help them kind of heal and feel better. So I've always used that um, ever since the beginning. And you can a lot of times work with people who've maybe passed on in the family. You know, maybe there's a, a mother or something where there had to be some issues resolved and the mother's passed on, but we could bring her in, not necessarily as a guide, but someone to kind of help work through those issues. Um, so you can use it both to sort of heal past wounds that are, that came up through the family, but you can also use it on a more spiritual sense where people can bring in like an angel or a spirit guide or a totem or something to work with to get some spiritual direction for people as well. Uh, is this an actual spirit and entity or is this just a manifestation of an, like, you know, an imagination or something in the subconscious? Well, I guess that's uh, depends on the, the person's, their own belief system. Um, what I would do was have them and you understand I never am telling them what to bring in, I never say like, oh, you got a guardian angel there or anything like that. I'm asking people to invite in a guide to work with them. And so you could say, is it in their subconscious? Is it in, the, in their imagination? Is it in the room? There's different theories about all of that. So, so you kind of just take a neutral position on it. Right, and with this book, with the One Voice Sacred Wisdom book, what I wanted it to be, I wanted to make it clear to people, I wasn't the one channeling these guides or talking to the guides. I would ask questions and then the guides would share the information with the client. And then the client would share that information with me. So 
because there's a lot of people who've written books where they channel uh, their guidance, whatever that is, you know, a spirit guide or something or an angel. But in this one, it's more like I'm having the, my clients talk to their guides and I'm asking these questions, not just of one guide, but like a hundred different guides. And so I'm kind of taking, it's sort of like a survey, you know, where I'm taking a survey of a hundred different guides and saying, you know, what happens when we die or how do we heal ourselves or is there such a thing as karma? So I could ask these life questions and get the answer, not from one guide or one set of guides, but like a hundred. You know, what kind of, what kind of answers have you received to those questions? Uh, well, the fascinating thing was the amazing consistency with the answers is that, you know, say if I ask a question like, what happens when we die? Right. If I asked like 10 of your listeners, what happens when we die? A couple would say, oh, you go to heaven. You know, one might say, oh, you reincarnate. Another might say, oh, you rot in the ground. You know, so everybody's got these different ideas. But probably five would say, I have no idea. I really don't know. You know, I've thought about it a lot. I just, I don't know. But that's the thing when you do, when you ask the guides, first of all, they never say, I don't know. And I've asked that question for hundreds and hundreds of guides. And probably 98% of the time, the answer is the same. Now, it's different wording every time. But the answer is pretty much the same thing, which is basically that our, our spirit or our energy, whatever you want to call it, that energy keeps going on. It doesn't stop. The body falls away, but our energy continues on. Do, but does it go to heaven or does it reincarnate or no. do we get it to choose? Well, that was my next question is, okay, so, because once they start saying that, then I was like, okay, so where do we go? And the interesting thing with the answer with that was they started to say, well... Other planes, other dimensions, other realms, other planets, other lives, you know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 <laughs> what are we talking about here? Because when I did this, I, I asked these questions because they were things I didn't know. I wasn't sure. So I thought that I, I wanted to learn these things myself. And so that's when they said that, I'm like, whoa, what does all this mean? You know, and so that sort of opened the door for more, more questions and more answers. So basically, it sounds like all possibilities. Well, and eventually, I, when I started to explore those possibilities. You know, they would talk about, uh, you know, we would talk about, say we focus on reincarnation. Well, that, you know, a lot of people believe in that and accept that. And, but then the idea came, could, are we just, do we only have past lives or do we have, like parallel lives. Do we have things that are going on right now? And the guys are like, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, of course you have parallel lives. And I'd say, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, I want to know about that. So, you know, here's Judy or whatever in my chair. Let's go to a parallel life for Judy. And, you know, she ended up being maybe a teacher in China or something. And um I'm like, this is going on concurrently, right? With her current life. And the guys are like, yep, absolutely. And, and Judy would have that experience, just like a past life regression. And she'd talk about, well, I'm teaching students, you know, maybe, maybe she's teaching them English or something, which is kind of interesting. It's like, oh, wow. So that would kind of make sense. 
that you'd be teaching them English. And then, you know, talk, recount some of the events of the life. And then maybe afterwards I'd ask Judy, I'd say, well, okay, Judy, this whole thing about China, does that sound like you at all? Or is this just, you know, sound too far out? And, you know, then the client might say something like, well, it's really fascinating because you should see my, my whole house is all decorated in Oriental art and things like that. Cause I find this really strong connection with that culture. Yeah. Uh, I get that. I, I talk to a lot of uh, psychics and stuff and a lot of them will say that we're all experiencing multiple lives at the same time. Yeah. Time is just an illusion. Yep. And everything is just happening at once. And that's, that's very consistent with what the guides said. And the, the way they explained it, um, you know, in terms of the concept of time, was that the best explanation I got, and I have this one in the One Voice Sacred Wisdom book, is that it's almost like each of our different existences is like a different aquarium. You know, so you can think of being standing in front of, you know, 100 different aquariums. And each aquarium has a different set of rules. So in some aquariums, there might only be consciousness and no physical embodiment. You know, in another aquarium, maybe there's unconditional love. But in Earth's aquarium, we have the concept of time. And Earth's aquarium has rules because this is an aquarium where we go to to learn and evolve. So the element of time allows us to see the consequences of our actions. So, in other words, you do something and then you see the result of it, but you need time to see what happens in our actions, and that's part of your learning. Right, so it has to be like a linear. Yeah, so it has to be linear, and that's how that aquarium. But outside of that aquarium, there's no time. It's all, you know, so in other words, that, that lifetime within that aquarium still is a fraction of a second. So it's... It's a pretty, pretty deep concept, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean like whatever I do in this lifetime really isn't going to make a difference anyway? Um, no, actually, it does make a huge difference because we're here. I think we're here to evolve and to grow and learn. And so when we grow and evolve and learn, um, there's what's called Dharma, which is like all the good that we do. And we keep building on that dharma for each one of our existences. So in other words, if you, you know, become more evolved and, you know, you really help people and you're a kind, generous person or whatever, you'll take a lot of those qualities with you into the future existences. That's how dharma works. So, and, you know, we're trying, we have this innate desire to continually evolve and grow and, uh, you know, be more connected to spirit. Um, so how about, um, lives on other planets? Like, like you, you kind of mentioned that for a second, like how, how many times have you heard that? Uh, it's, you know, first of all, I guess I should say we've had, you know, if the first existence of man, let's say, or, or consciousness or spirit, or let's say it was a million years ago. So you have to think about with no time, 
how many existences have we have? If, if our energy never dies, and so our energy is kind of immortal, we may have had, you know, who knows, a million, maybe a, a million existences, you know, over the years. Um, but um, the idea really with this is you're, I'm sorry, ask that question again, if you could. Um, how many times have you heard that people have existed on other planets? Oh, okay. So the planet thing, so you can go, you can ask specifics. Like I, I mentioned parallel lives. Um, but you can also ask about like if people have had existence on other planets. And there's, um, when I have, it's actually pretty interesting. And, and they'll, they'll talk about their, their different existence, you know, on a different planet. Um, you know, how they're able to think and communicate. A lot of times the communication is done without ever verbalizing. It's all like telepathic. Um, the way they heal, a lot of times I'll ask about how do you heal on that planet? Um, because that, that kind of stuff just fascinates me. Um, but I would say, you know, when I do past lives, that's maybe 5% of the people voluntarily come up with something about a life on another planet. Have you ever come across like somebody who's been an abductee? Um, I have done some of that work with like alien abductions. Um, not a lot. I don't think, I, I think actually that a lot of these UFO sightings and things that if, the civilization is that advanced that they can come to our planet. They're probably advanced enough that they could do harm if they wanted to. And I think that most of these, and what I find like in regressions and stuff, that these are not enemies. These are not like aliens that want to harm us or anything like that. These are people that want connection and you know, have a much higher consciousness. Then why, why would they just not make themselves known? Why did he kind of work in the shadows? Mm, I, I'm not sure I have the answer for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about, you know, I, I remember the question now that I was going to ask you about fertility. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, and... Can animals be hypnotized to have, um, you know, pups like like you know like, like dog breeders and stuff like that who are trying to get their animals to breed? You know, I've never never worked with that before. To tell you the truth, um, what I have the only thing I've done before is when if I've done a like a where I've been hypnotizing a group of people and. In hypnosis, you have what are called instant inductions, where you kind of, you put your hand on somebody's forehead and basically just say the word sleep, even though they're not sleeping. You say the word sleep, and then they instantly go into hypnosis. It's just like a quick way to do it. You know, it's a, a fast mm -hmm. way to get people into hypnosis. And I have done that, like, sometimes if there's a dog or a pet in the room or something that's, um, you know, kind of moving around, interfering with people, being able to relax, you can kind of just go, sleep to it and sort of and they'll they'll 
just sort of lie down sometimes. Um, but I've never tried the reproduction thing with animals. So. <laughs> That's like one of the things too is like you know I, I I've read about different types of hypnosis, um, and, and rapid induction, like mm-hmm. where you like like you snap your fingers and the conscious mind will pay attention to that noise, and you say something at the same time, mm-hmm. and while they're paying attention to that noise, what you're saying is going into the subconscious. Is there well, is that okay. is that like you know how how it kind of works some of well, it. And the reason, you know, some people do that for show, you know, like on stage and stuff like that. When I do like a rapid or an instant induction, I'm doing it just basically to save time because that way when I'm working with a client, if we can do that induction in 15 seconds instead of 15 minutes, we've got 15 more minutes to work on stuff, you know, work on their issues or whatever. And it's, you have to understand with hypnosis, people will never do anything against their will. So it's not like I can just walk down the street downtown and, you know, start zapping people on the forehead. They're not going to go for that. These are people I've worked with before. And so they know me and trust me. And so when I do that and I say, Hey, this is going to give us 15 more minutes to do the work. Most people are like, great, let's do it. You know? And so you can do that. Um, but no, not just like to complete strangers or anything like that. Right. How about like the NLP, the, the neural linguistic programming? Yeah. You know, I know that something that's really huge in the sales industry. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, where you can use it is like, say if you have a salesperson who's uh, kind of insecure, you know, doesn't really have a lot of confidence or whatever, with NLP, you could give them a confidence anchor, you know, where they do something like maybe they tap their wrist three times or something, and it'll make them feel full of confidence and believe in themselves. So you can use that NLP in ways like that. It can actually be pretty helpful, especially when you combine it with hypnosis. Right. But don't some of them use it to get their clients to buy things by using uh, really subtle suggestions? Like Uh rather than saying, um, uh, do you want to buy this car? You ask, which car would you like to buy? Right. You're, suddenly, you're suddenly implanting the suggestion that you're, you're going to buy a car. Yep. Yep. You can implant suggestions. You can use hypnotic language. A lot of times in sales, they use that all the time. Um, there's also a technique in NLP where you can do some mirroring kind of thing where, you know, if, uh, if you're the buyer, crosses his arms while he's looking at the car or whatever, you cross your arms and, you know, you sort of mirror some of their behaviors and some of their language and things like that. And then they feel like, Oh, I really connect to this guy, you know, this salesperson. So I guess I'm going to buy from him, you know? So yeah, you can use a lot of those techniques. Absolutely. Do you consider those techniques harmful? I mean, you're kind of making somebody do something that they're unaware of that they're doing. Well, like, is that an ethical thing to do? One of the things they, with hypnosis is that nobody will do anything against their, their personal belief system. So if you have people up on stage, for example, and you say, okay, you're going to sing a Broadway tune, and they'll go ahead and do that. But if you said something like, okay, I want you to go rob a bank, no, they're not going to do that. Immediately they'd come out of hypnosis. That would be the end of things. So uh-huh. 
um, it's the same thing that person buying the car already probably the 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 customer probably has in his mind I want to buy a car you know I just want to get the best price and all that kind of stuff and it just there's the difference probably between whether he buys it from you you know the salesman using the NLP stuff or he buys it from the guy down the street he's already kind of made up his mind he wants to do that so I'm not sure you're really hypnotizing him to buy a car I think he's already at that point mm-hmm. but how about like when when they do that and the person has like buyer's remorse afterwards yeah well I mean and buyer's remorse I, I see that as kind of something a little bit different you know and that's that's pretty common that people have that I'm not sure it's buyer's remorse because they bought mm-hmm. it from that specific person. I think if they, even if they bought it from the person down the street, that still have buyer's remorse. Okay. It's not really, it's not like any of this is mind control. We can't, you know, make people do anything against their will. So it's kind of important to keep that in mind. What you can do is just make yourself like the best salesman by adding some of these techniques. So in other words, you're, you know, again, you sell 10 cars every time the guy down the street sells one or something. So you're just making yourself the best, but you're not really manipulating people to buy a car they don't want. Um, how about uh, like conversational hypnosis versus script hypnosis? Well, I'm somebody who's very much against scripts, actually. And that's how they teach, how they train hypnotists is they give them scripts, you know, general scripts so that, because people a lot of times don't know what to say when they start out. And so here's, here's what you say if you're trying to help somebody lose weight, for example. And so they would read those kind of things. But when you think about it, the person who gains weight, they're not going to be successful most of the time just by hearing a script. It's very unlikely. Instead, they have to look at what's making them eat. You know, what's, why are they not exercising? Or why, what's their, like, I, I work with uh, sweet addictions all the time. Mm-hmm. So they need to look at all the issues. So if they come and see me and they see another hypnotist and the other hypnotist is just using general scripts, First of all, those scripts may not even really apply to what's going on to that person. But my my way I approach it is, you know, I talked about age regression. Go back to like, where did the sweet addiction start? What's, you know, why did that get started? Can we remove that? You know, why? What about the not wanting to exercise? You know, maybe it goes back to PE class when they were picked on and made fun of or something. If we can heal that, they might say, you know, I don't want to join a gym or something, but I'll go out there and walk for 45 minutes every day or something. So you really have to work with the issues. This Just reading scripts is not going to be successful with hypnosis. So, so then what is the difference between what you do and just regular cognitive therapy? Well, the main difference is in regular therapy, you're working pretty much with the critical or conscious mind. And in hypnosis, the focus is on the subconscious mind. So if I say you were dealing with uh, abandonment issues, and I said, when did that get started for you? Your conscious critical mind might say, oh, yeah, I remember high school, my girlfriend left me and started going out with my best friend or something. Okay, so that would be your conscious critical mind. 
in hypnosis, I would ask that same question. And we might find maybe half a dozen things that happened before then. You know, maybe a grandparent died when you were 12. You know, maybe your best friend moved away and you felt abandoned then. Um, but then probably it might even go back to like your first day of preschool or something. Your mom dropped you off and you were just convinced oh, she's never going to come back. She's gone forever or whatever. That's where the abandonment started. And a lot of times that can be fairly easy to heal because, you know, now you can, I can say, well, you got a lifetime of evidence. Your mother did come back and she does care about you and loves you and all that. And so it's something pretty easy to heal. But in the conscious, the, the example I gave you with the conscious therapy, you know, the talk therapy, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's absolutely very beneficial to do talk therapy, but you would be focusing on what happened to you in high school. In hypnosis, I'd be focusing on what happened in preschool. And the way I see it is one of those is really the root or the beginning of that whole process. How about we, we do, well, how, how do you get somebody to remember something that far back? I mean, like I understand it's in the subconscious, but it's probably not in our conscious. Mm -hmm. um, like well, the, the, there has to be some kind of path that you take to get that person back that far to connect with that particular issue. Yeah, I mean, there are techniques. I'm kind of simplifying somehow some of this yeah. works. But people, they, they say that our subconscious mind is kind of like this memory that holds all, not only the stuff from this life, but potentially past life and past lives and other existences, things like that, that, and in all the information about why we're here, those kinds of things. But what's interesting with hypnosis is that it's almost like the subconscious mind wants to really assist people with the healing. And it's amazing that a lot of times I'll work on something like abandonment and it'll go right back to that preschool issue immediately because the subconscious mind is like, if we can bring this up for Gary, this is going to help him heal himself. And so it's almost like the subconscious mind is like, how can we do this the best? You know, how can we get this healed? And then it might say, you know, maybe we do heal that, mm. but then Maybe it might also say, you know, but then his grandfather died when he was 12 and we got to work on that one too. So you might be sitting in the chair going, yeah, I'm also, there's also this scene coming up, you know, and with my grandfather. And then we would address that one. We'd work on that one. It almost sounds like the subconscious mind is more intelligent and more effective than the um, our conscious mind. I, I'm always telling people all of our actions, our behaviors, our beliefs, all those things, it's all coming from the subconscious mind. The conscious critical mind is just kind of, you know, on the outside, just sort of the shell. It's our thinking mind. You know, it's the, the mind we use if we're paying bills or something. But when we step on an airplane or something and feel anxiety or whatever, that's subconscious mind. Or if somebody says something to us and it agitates us, that's coming from the subconscious mind. So, so many of our behaviors are our deep belief systems, things like that. It, that's all in the subconscious, I believe. Right. So the conscious mind just sort of filters what comes out of the subconscious. It does. We have what's called, you know, we have this, this, uh, this wall around 
the subconscious mind that's kind of just basically saying, stay out, don't mess with our stuff, you know, so it's like, it's called a critical factor. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of protects us from that stuff coming, you know, that we, so we don't feel those things all the time. It seeps through, you know, it kind of can seep both ways, but yeah, the, the conscious or critical mind is like the wall around things. And, and so that's why people can talk about things critically sometimes for years, but not really feel like they get to the roots of stuff is because right. they're kind of staying in that conscious domain as opposed to this. Right. Cause the, con- the conscious mind, I guess kind of works like, like, like a, like a, a yes, no, <laughs> good, bad kind of thing. Yeah. I like, I don't like where the subconscious mind doesn't quite, do that it's more fluid well the conscious mind would maybe express it but the subconscious mind would feel it you know it's like i'm getting on this airplane and it feels terrible that's coming from the subconscious mind you would express it with your critical mind um when it comes to like the 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 past life uh type of stuff Mm -hmm. um Rather than going through the conscious or the subconscious, do you think there's a super conscious that everybody connects to? Or like what Carl Jung, I guess, called like the archetypes? Well, there's there's like our collective consciousness that I think is super important. And I, I talk about this quite a bit in the One Voice Sacred Wisdom book. And that that collective conscious is so important because it it affects us on a larger scale. So the, one of the examples I use in the book is, you know, after, uh, you know, what happened with Pearl Harbor and stuff, we had the Japanese internment camps here. And that was a collective consciousness thing. We were putting, some, you know, these Japanese American citizens basically into camps because the collective conscious was that, you know, they were spies or they were going to do something bad or, and of course none of that was true, but that was our collective consciousness. And that collective consciousness can do things like get people riled up to, you know, create wars and stuff, get societies to, you know, feel like, Oh, we've got to attack this country or stop this country or whatever. So our collective consciousness is really important because we can also use it in a very positive way and I give even an example in the, the book where we can bring white light and positive energy to the planet and use that for helping to heal the planet, the people, the animals, everything. This is, it's something we could use in a very positive way. And that's, I'd love to see people take more advantage of that going into a meditative state and bringing positive energy to the world. So, so what is the difference between like doing like a meta meditation and hypnosis? Uh, very, very similar, actually. A meditation, some of the meditations are kind of the empty your mind, think of nothing techniques, which are really difficult for people to do. There's only about 5% of the population, I think, can do that. So most people do better with like a guided meditation where there's uh, things that they're, you know, they're, they're told to do maybe go to the beach and, you know, breathe the calmness and peacefulness, breathe that in, that kind of thing. In my, when I teach self-hypnosis, 
I'll have specific things that people are working on. So yeah, they will have that relaxation thing. Maybe they do go to the beach and they breathe 12 times or something, but then also they might bring in their younger self, you know, from when I used the anger example earlier on with, with your father saying, you know, maybe he didn't feel like he was good enough or worthy, something like that. And he would bring in his five-year-old self and talk to him about, you know, how important he is and how loved he is, those kinds of things. So I guess with the self-hypnosis, what I would say is there's a lot of work that I'm having people do, a lot of uh, healing that goes on in the self-hypnosis. And that's different from the where a meditation might be just about relaxation. And that example that you give where, where you go back and, and you kind of talk to like the five-year-old self, mm-hmm. that's almost like uh, – like if everything, if time doesn't exist and everything's happening at once, essentially you're like, you're almost doing like an astral type of time travel. Mm. You're well, when we're healing ourselves on a lot of different planes, a lot of different levels. So you could argue that that five-year-old self is that, that, yeah, that his, what's going on with him is happening right now. And so you're going back helping him through that particular time period. Yeah, like I, I, I've heard of that happening. Well, not heard of it happening, but I've, I've, I've discussed it with some of my other guests where, you know, it, it's not actually something we're imagining, but, you know, we're actually going back and, and helping it. Like, it's like if you have a moment, like epiphanies, like when we have an epiphany about something, like we're like, oh, wow, it suddenly makes sense. You know, maybe it's like the future self communicating with the current self saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. this is what you got to do. I, I think that that's very likely, actually, that, yeah, we're, the, the future self came in and, and helped somehow. And I also find, you know, to take that a step further, when you work on past life regressions, a lot of times the issues that somebody's working on in this life are the exact same things that they were doing in the past life. And you kind of wonder, are we using that to heal concurrently? Are we working on all these, the, the same issue, but just on different dimensions? It's interesting. I never thought of that. So all the me's could be working on the same thing at the same time. Exactly. Like I had a, a woman one time that came in that uh, I highly suspected she was suicidal and she, but she never mentioned that she never said a word about it. I could just, you know, intuitively just felt like she was suicidal, um, but she did have a child. And so that was the only thing that was kind of keeping her here was because she felt that responsibility. Well, she spontaneously went into a past life. In other words, I didn't take her to one. We were just, you know, all of a sudden she just says, Oh, what's this I'm wearing? You know, I'm looking at myself and these clothes are like from a different time period or whatever. She goes back to a different life. And in that different life, that's what was going on as she was debating whether or not to take her own life. And so that opened the door to do some healing in that life, what I'm sure, you know, would apply towards this life as well. Do you have to completely understand the past life to have the healing or you just have to understand that specific situation? I think just a specific situation. We don't sometimes need to know the details probably. Right. 
that makes it a little bit easier, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> trying rather than trying to understand an entire lifetime. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't even understand this current one. <laughs> um So when dealing with like the super conscious, what do you think the the uh, the super conscious mind is? Do you think that we're existing within a, a, a dream of some other being? No, well, the way I see it more and and is that we're, and this is something the guide said over and over and over, is. I would ask about like, what is God or universe or source? What do you, what is that exactly? And they would yeah. always describe it as energy, you know, consciousness. Cool. I basically. need a better, I need a better, better answer to just energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, well, and that's, but that's kind of what they said, you know, consciousness, oneness, energy, that kind of thing. And that they would also, then the next breath, they would basically say, and we're all part of it, you know, so we're all, we have this, and universal connection where we're all part of that energy right and including you know all living things and including people you don't like and including all the animals and the the trees and everything else so that's we're all energy we all share that yeah i mean i definitely know there's a oneness to things mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I understand the energy and definitely like on a scientific level, you know, obviously everything is energy. Um, but sometimes I wonder like, well, where does that energy come from? Hmm. That's a, that's a difficult question. I'm not sure I have an answer for that one. Hmm. One of the things the clients did say, which you might find kind of interesting, or that, not the clients, the, the guides did say was one of the reasons because I asked, well, why are humans here? You know, we have this beautiful planet. Why, why send us here to create wars and pollute and do all these things? You know that, and there's good things we do as well. But uh, why do we need humans? And they said, well, because energy can't can't experience things. It needs to go into human form. So if you want to experience love, then like if that energy needs to experience love. It has to go within a person to, to feel what that's like. Or if energy wants to build a building, it can't do that just as energy. Cause that's just like a, you know, a light or a swirl of, you know, some sort of uh, light or energy. But if you want to create a building, then you've got to go inside people and become an architect and a builder and a contractor and, you have to, that's the way the energy has to express itself and experience. Right. And I've heard that before from, from other guests that um, it's just the universe trying to experience itself. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. our, our existence is the universe trying to get to know itself. And we're one aspect of that. Yes, exactly. Um. Do you think people should be afraid of death? No. And that's, and one of the reasons why I really got into some of these questions is because, you know, we, we, on this planet, as humans, we have these things like final resting place or, you know, so-and-so has left us or gone to the great beyond or whatever, like, 
there's this separation, like we're, we're done and it's over with. And it's really not. It's not only happening, you know, not only does our energy live on, but it's also, if you believe in parallel planes, our energy is like in maybe a hundred other places at the same time. And the people that we're worried about losing or leaving behind, which, you know, you call our soul family, those are people who we, we incarnate through these different existences, these different, uh, you know, lifetimes or whatever. We continue to be with them. And so you don't lose when you have, you know, you lose that grandfather or whatever. You don't really lose him because you guys are, you're connected in a soul family where you are working through this all together. And one of the guides one time when I was asking about death, they said, if you humans only knew how many times you'd done this before, you would have no fear of this at all. It's like you just do it again and again and again, and it's just it's a, something that happens all the time. And so we stay with a lot of the people who we're connected to, which is one of the reasons why people are worried about death or fearful about death. But also they feel like it's, you know, it's like the end point. Or even sometimes with what some of the religions say after we die, makes people uncomfortable. They don't really understand the concepts or can't grasp them. And so the idea that we're, we just continue to move on and experience different existences out there, that's a whole lot more comforting, I think. I, I think so too. And I think um, one of the reasons humans act out so poorly <laughs> a lot of the times is because they're trying to avoid the thought of death. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend so much time working, making money, buying stuff, consuming, you know, to, to avoid that, that thought and that feeling. And, uh, but I think if people just accept that um, it's not really the end and, you know, just, just come to peace with it, basically. It would be completely different. Like even being around people that are dying um, mm-hmm. has changed my perspective on death. It yeah. made me like less afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Well, the and one thing that with the book that I I found, if you had if we knew that we had so many existences, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of existences, then ending one lifetime, you'd be like, eh, yeah, okay, well, let's go to the next one. You know, it wouldn't be a big deal. I, I talk about an example in the One Voice Sacred Wisdom book about a little girl who comes in with cancer, and it's a fictitious example, something I just make up. Mm-hmm. And she's supposed to die at like age six or whatever. And for all the humans, you know, the family members and people around her, you know, this is an awful thing, you know, and it, and it is, of course, it's terrible. But on a soul level, she may have agreed to come onto this planet, only make it for those six years and die of cancer, because what she's going to do is teach her soul family, all those people around her, how to be really loving and kind and compassionate and caring. You know, uh-huh. maybe it's a soul family that where they really need that. And so they go to her spirit, you know, whatever the universe or guides or something and say, okay, here it is. In this next life, if you're willing to take it, you only go to six, but you're going to really help your soul family evolve. 
do you want to do it? Uh-huh. And she agrees. Yeah. Like I would look at that like as an easy life, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I only got to live six years. But if your soul family, maybe there are people who aren't very kind or compassionate or empathetic uh-huh. or something. And you go, boy, I could look at the difference I could make with this. They could, in terms of evolution, these mm-hmm. guys could really advance. You know, most of us would go, yeah, let's do it. Let's so, so, so you hate it from like an altruistic way. Yes, exactly. I can't. I'm so bad at pronunciation. <laughs> um, it's just interesting. Um, so how, how, how do you um, tie this stuff in when you have clients that, like, for example, I live in Alabama and it's the Bible Belt and, and, and people are very strict with their beliefs. Like their, their beliefs are not beliefs, they're reality. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have clients like that that are just, they're not going to budge? Or those people don't even bother coming to you in the first place? Um, yeah, some may not come in the first place, but some will because, you know, maybe they've been trying to get pregnant or something and that's really important to them. And so this is the thing that will get them through the door, basically. But I'm always respectful of whatever people believe. If somebody comes in and says I'm a really strong Christian or whatever, and they might want to work with a guardian angel, for example, that that might be safe, but I'm never going to introduce something like a spirit guide if it feels like that's going to fall outside of their comfort zone or whatever. So it's only what falls in their belief system. And some will come in, you know, like an atheist, somebody will come in and they'll be an atheist or something, and maybe we won't do anything spiritual at all, you know, and, and it doesn't, just because somebody maybe comes in for anxiety or weight loss or something like that doesn't mean it's going to go to a spiritual in a spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we may do all that work and spiritualism may not even come into play, but I do have a lot of people who found the book or people who are like searching for something spiritual. Maybe they, they did, they were exposed to a religion when they were young and felt like they didn't quite resonate with it or connect with it. And they're searching and they don't know where to go. So I do have people who come specifically for that. But yeah, if somebody comes from the Bible Belt and says, you know, I don't want any spiritual stuff, then we don't do any. Or if they say, you know, I'm okay working with Jesus or a guide or something or an angel, but that's it, then that's, we'll stay within those parameters. So you just stay within what you, you asked them beforehand, what their current beliefs are and work within that framework. A lot of times, it's not like the first question I ask, but if there's something where I feel like, you know, if we brought in a guide that would really help this person, then I'll kind of ask where, where they are, what they believe in, um, because I don't want to do something that offends them or, you know, is outside their belief system. Um, but sometimes it can really help. They could hear something from their guide and that's can be like a hundred times more powerful from hearing it from their wife or from hearing it from their friend or um, even from me, you know, so they hear it from, you know, if their guide comes and tells them something they need to do or look at or think about that can sometimes make a, a pretty dramatic change in somebody's life. Yeah, I can see that. Um, 
That's great. And thank you for being on my show. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. Wait, is that your dog that's barking? Uh, Yeah, sorry about that. I thought it was my dog. I'm thinking, oh, man, I got to go walk my dog. (laughs) He sounds just like mine. (laughs) Well, it sounds like he's telling us to wrap it up. (laughs) Well, Thank you for having me on the show. I yeah, it, and, and again, um, just tell my listeners your uh, your your about your book, um, your books, and your practice, and where they can find you. Yeah, um, so the spiritual book is called One Voice Sacred Wisdom, and they can go to onevoicesacredwisdom.com to find out about that, or just even put it in a search engine. The fertility book is called The Mind Body Fertility Connection, and Again, there's if you put that in a search engine or the mindbodyfertilityconnection.com, they can find the book there. My practice is called the Rocky Mountain Hypnotherapy Center, and it's in Denver. It's in Colorado. And so if somebody wants to contact me that way, um, I do Skype sessions for things like fertility and things. So sometimes people want to do a little bit of work with that. That's perfectly fine. So Rocky Mountain Hypnotherapy Center in Denver. And my name is James Schwartz. Yeah, and I'm going to post links to all of this in the notes for the episode as well. So oh, the listeners will be able to just go into the episode, go to the notes, and they can find uh, all your information. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Great. And have a good day. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Until it be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. And Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.